to a new episode of Thinking Aloud about cinema. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And today we're going to be talking about El Imperio de la Fortuna, an Arturo Ripstein film, so the realm of fortune in English, which is 1986. It surprised me a little bit that it was that late. I saw it first and I thought it would be like a, a, a 70s film. Mm. I mean, stylistically, it was very similar, I think, to, to uh, The Castle of Purity, for instance. And so yes. it wouldn't have surprised me to learn it was made around the same time as that. And it has other things, really, that I found very intriguing. But what, what did you think overall of it? really liked it. I mean, this is the, the chronologically the last Ripstein film on the movie have. And, and it, what's interesting about that, I think, is it felt like a bit of a synthesis of themes that we've seen in, in some of the earlier films I mean, it's kind of an epic it, it takes place over probably about 20 or 25 years it's a overblown melodrama it's shocking it's funny it should be said it, it um, has scenes of cockfighting which i would say are not simulated i'm interested in this question of synthesis yeah so you were saying that it, it feels like a synthesis of everything we've seen before so can you elaborate a little bit first thing, in terms of the style of it it kind of I think it becomes clear, I think, perhaps that there's, there's a kind of Ripstein style of filming things. And the, we know, we mentioned with the Place Without Limits, all these scenes where it's almost black and white apart from things that are red. And it's, there are a lot of scenes like that here, with a, lot, a lot of reds, but, all, but a lot of scenes also where the lighting is such that, that uh, you know, the characters in the frame are entirely green or entirely blue or whatever. I found that very interesting. But also this theme of, um, I mean, we'll talk about the plot later, but you end up with this scenario at one point where this sort of abusive father is keeping his wife and daughter pretty much prisoner in a enclosed in the house, you know, this enclosed world with this with this family. It, again, reminded me a little of the place without limits, these sort of parties going on in this sort of house that was previously a grand house and is now now decayed tell us the plot and then we'll we'll talk more specifically about these issues so it starts off we've got this guy a poor guy in somewhere in mexico he's living with his mother in one room and he's kind of a carnival barker I mean, he, he's just making announcements in the town he gets a job announcing for a cockfight and then this starts his kind of rise and fall really that he he takes an injured cock home and and brings it back to to health, but then takes it along to cockfights, starts making money, but then becomes involved in the gambling rings around this, becomes aware of the corruption involved, kind of claws his way to the top of that organisation. There's a guy who's his mentor who's kind of running all these gambling rings and our, our central figure first wins his woman from him and then goes and, and gambles with him and wins the house um, and he then takes things over and they, this is kind of the second half of the film he has a family and this is where you know, his daughter grows up within this house he's using the wife who's, who's a former singer as, as a kind of she describes her as the magnet who's going to pull people into his gambling events he's running this poker school or whatever and then he you know, basically things come full circle because someone then wins the house from him. Um, I mean, it's kind of like Scarface or something like that, but it's just this kind of rise and fall of this um, yeah. of this figure. It's kind of like a, a, a magical realist mm. Scarface because the film begins so beautifully. So he's the town crier, which sounds more impressive in English 
than it does in Spanish, which is pregonero, because basically, you know, he's just a poor landless schmuck, yeah, who basically gets paid to deliver messages to the populace at large. I mean, before the telephone, you know, this was a common practice all over Spain and Mexico, and I imagine everywhere, yeah, somebody had to deliver, you know, the messages, particularly the ones from the council, yeah, yeah or yeah. whether there was a market that day, or... So he's a town crier, and it begins in this kind of way that reminded me a little bit of a combination of, you know, Italian neorealism, yeah, and also like kind of magic realism. They wake up in the morning, his mother makes him coffee, he ends up attending this cockfight, and a cock loses, is taken for dead, and he's offered it as recompense to eat, to 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 make soup with. But he decides that the cock is not dead yet and he'll bring it to life and fight it. And he begins to be so obsessed with it that he ignores his mother. So his mother dies right in front of him practically and he's paying no attention. He's completely obsessed with the cock. And that whole process is several days that it's not that he notices her later later that evening. You get from the look of the body, it's weeks. Yes. And this is tying in with another of those themes of Ripstein, you know, which is about the patriarchy Mm. and about men oblivious to what's happening around them and just conscious of their own needs and desires, you know, which is what would characterize Dionisio throughout the film, but which is taken to almost fabulistic terms. Yeah, there's uh, the tone in the film is one that's a combination of belief in other worlds and religion and you know magic and yeah Mm. uh and a disdain for them right so you know the character is shown believing all that stuff and the film shows you an objective look so there's that marvelous scene where he goes to get the blessing from the priest yeah who's the only person who's helped him a little bit and of course the priest has a tv and you know, uh, he's he claims poverty to not give him a tip, mm. you know, and then he holds out his hand to be kissed and he's not even looking at the peasant, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> which is a marvelous scene, really. So the film has, and it has this very dark, bleak, funny tone at the beginning. I, I love that sequence when the mother's died and, and it's very bleak and very, but, but also very funny. He wants to get a proper funeral and he wants to borrow money to buy coffin. So he wraps the mother up in a in a rug and he's walking through town with his dead mother tied to his back sort of dragging her along, along the ground and people are just laughing at him saying oh she's lost a shoe and they know it's his mother's yeah. corpse and they're just laughing and then yeah, he's trying to true. borrow money and he can't so he ends up burying the mother just in a in a field without a coffin yeah. then later on he can afford a coffin he buys the best coffin he can and of course comes back and tries to find his mother's corpse and can't remember where he buried her and he's just dug all these all these holes out and it's it's a tragic scene and dreadful scene but it's also funny because it's it's just ridiculous yeah so so it has this black humor you know that's kind of you know quite typical but again imbued with kind of faith and destiny and Mm. magic really it's fabulistic then that whole thing uh with uh, la caponera the singer yeah, who's initially attached to this other man 
who is involved in all these fairs and all these schemes and all these fixings of things that are meant to be chance. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, they fix chance. But on the other hand, you know, she is the one who is credited with the film, objectively, with bringing luck, right? So as long as she's around, the man she's with wins. Yeah. As soon yeah. as she's, she's gone, they begin to lose. Right. So this is a little bit like Gabriel Garcia Marquez. This woman has, if not quite magical powers, fantastical ones. Yeah, she brings luck. Well, because he has a, there's this whole thing about amulets and talismans. So because so, he has this religious amulet around his neck that he always kind of kisses before a cockfight or, or, or a, a poker, poker game. But also, you know, the, 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 the singer then becomes his talisman the scene with the mother is then mirrored with her later on because near the end of the film she dies during a poker game and he, he doesn't notice again like, like with the mother but of course because she's dead he loses the poker game and that's i think one of the fascinating things about the film because really he is meant to be a, a poor schmuck mm. a spore a spore can be so poor that like the whole town refuses to help him yeah, so he's not quite an outcast, but almost. And he's not very handsome. He's got everything going against him. And then when his luck turns, he doesn't know how to appreciate what he's got. Yeah. 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 Uh, so rather than thinking, oh, my God, I'm so lucky to be with this beautiful woman. He basically ignores her. She's needy. She's fallen in love with him for ways that are seemingly sexual. She can't get enough of him sexually. But he spends more time petting a rooster, yeah, <laughs> than kind of and ignoring her, yeah, uh, through yeah. throughout. I don't know if we're quite doing justice with the film because, you know, I think this is a film of tone, right? And there were some scenes that I thought were just so beautiful, like the whole scenes at the beginning where they're going from fair to fair, right? And he's learning that really in these games of chance, the odds are stacked against them. There's a moment where his rooster loses the fight, and he doesn't realize that his rooster hasn't lost the fight. Someone crushed the rooster's ribs, mm. so yeah, before the fight, so he wouldn't be able to fight properly. He's so innocent and naive, and then he learns all those tricks. But in those moments of the fair, which you get a sense of sweep, the film has like an almost epic quality. Mm. Mm. You know, there's hundreds of extras in these fairs. You know, the camera's moving. You can see the different worlds in them, right? You can see that there's singing, there's gambling, there's boxing. Yeah, there's kind of all these hard guys. And they're, and these fairs are obviously going from town to town, replicating what they're doing. The music is fantastic. It's music of heartbreak and, you know, sadness. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's this song you hear a few times, which, you know, first sung by the mother and then later on sung by the daughter. Those scenes have like uh, a beautiful quality. Actually, it reminded me a little bit of the Chinese uh, film Long Day's Journey Into Night. Uh, have you seen it? I, I have, yeah. That's the one, is that the one where there's a 3D bit in the middle? That's right. Yeah. But you know there's that bit where they go into this derelict place that also has karaoke and mm, gambling yeah, yeah. and all of the sequences in the fair are a bit like that, but actually I think even more elegantly handled, really. Yeah, so because yeah. you move in, you sweep in uh, from this woman, you know, singing not very well, yeah, but obviously 
kind of a star of the place. Yeah. 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 To all of the yeah, all of the and it creates this mood, which is kind of a mood of enchantment, but also a mood of bleakness and loss and want. It just creates this world and it, it complete everything in the film completely makes sense while you're watching the film in terms of the way people are operating within this world. Uh, it may be if you try and describe the plot afterwards, you say, you know, yeah, this guy carries his mother around wrapped in a carpet. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it sounds ridiculous. And it kind of is slight, I guess Baroque is the word that the movie use on their description. I think that's pretty quite, a, quite an apt description um, that, that it is overblown, but it, it, it yeah. makes perfect sense while you're watching it. I, I found it didn't feel overblown to me. I like that kind of magical realist quality. You know, so you're watching the film and it's about like this Mexican peasant, really, or, you know, well, he's not a peasant because he's not working the land, but, you know, the lowest of the low in the culture. Yeah, right? yeah. And you think, when was the last British film that you saw about someone like that? Or actually, even when was the last American film that you saw, yeah, about kind of someone like that? I think it's, it's, it's so extraordinary that this is our protagonist and he's not sentimentalized. So he's not only disabled, but he's almost autistic. Yeah, that he can only think in kind of particular lanes. I mean, he's highly uneducated, but then, of course, you learn that he's he's highly intelligent also because he learns all these tricks, right? Yeah, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But he has no empathy for anyone, really. You know, certainly not his wife or his daughter. He's got a moment where he refuses to take the house from the man who's taught him everything. But actually, you think that that's more a question of honor than empathy, really. I think it's just the basic premise of the film that it's about a down and out person, yeah, who is not nice, uh, who is disabled, but the film doesn't ask you to give him any sympathy whatsoever. And whatever sympathy he is given is quickly kind of thrown away by his subsequent actions. Right? Absolutely, because while, while I think when you see him being ignored and, and kind of abused by the town people in the early parts of the film, and then by the people manipulating him in terms of the cult fights, you do feel sympathy for him then, but his later actions, I mean, he, he becomes a monster. But I guess that, that is why it put me in mind of, of something like Scarface where, or, or yes. Godfather, where, where you're, you're kind of, you know, you start off thinking the film's going to get you to root root for this person but actually it's about a guy who becomes a monster mm. i mean that scene near the end where you know his daughter who's frustrated and caged and you know ends up going around town you know like mary lee and written on the wind sleeping with whoever she finds mm. and you know women come to the house to complain instead of the police like like in written on the wind and uh, she comes with her daughter and he tells her you know leave the house right now, my, she's my daughter and she can do what she wants and if you don't leave, you know, I'll riddle that girl with bullets like a colander. Yeah. You go, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you still had any sympathy for him left, that, you know, yeah, dissipates. Yeah. And I think that's extraordinary, yeah, to have at the center a man who is not sympathetic, uh, who is not particularly desirable, who is mean and self-involved. 
it's really quite astonishing to me that this is the hero of this film, really. And also, the, his wife is not particularly sympathetic either. Who you might you might expect that to be the case, but she you know she kind of ignores the daughter. She's on drugs. She kind of uh, you know she does make one attempt to to escape. But what's interesting is because she she has been trapped in that house before. She's trapped in that house with the so you get this whole cycle of things that keep happening. So she's a singer. She ends up trapped in the house with the with the first guy, the, the guy who's running the cockfights, then escapes from him, pairs up with our lead character. Um, then they go back to the house and her her husband wins the house. And so she just ends up back in the whole same situation yes. she started off in. And then at the end of the film, her and the husband are both dead. The daughter goes off, becomes a singer in the fair, singing the same songs the mother was singing. And you see, you just think, oh God, she's just going to, you know, 10 years time, she's going to be in the same situation. Exactly. Um, you know, so, so it's a very bleak film, really. Uh, and yet, you know, the music, yeah, and incidents really create a particular type of mood that's, it's, it's quite enchanting in a way. I, I mean, I was fascinated by the scenes where he carries the rooster around constantly yeah. and they're eating. Yeah, and the rooster is eating from his food and it seems completely natural, right? And you think, wow, like, you know, it's kind of so astonishing to see something like that. The, the rooster, but he's, he's eating chicken. Mm. <laughs> and the rooster, he feeds chicken to the rooster, which just kind of... <laughs> well, he feeds him bread. Yeah. But the rooster ends up pecking on the chicken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really quite astonishing scenes, really. And I was very sympathetic to the wife because, you know, like Aponera wants to be free. She lost her parents early. She's making her own life, singing from place to place. She's got old friends with the band. They've been together forever. She's loyal to them. They're loyal to her, she thinks. And then, you know, she ends up with... Dionisio, who, you know, had really just been a poor schmuck, but there's something about him that enchants her or wins her over or, you know, because there's the scene where they have sex and it's complete abandon on her part. And he says, you know, I'll never let you go. And she says, I know. So again, that fabulistic element that this is her fate and she knows it and she knows she's going back into a prison, but she kind of chooses it. I mean, I haven't quite figured it out, but I, I thought it was quite potent, really. I mean, there's some oddities, like, for instance, she, when she escapes from the house, she then goes back and finds the band, and the band are all still together, but they've got a new singer, and she's, you know, shocked by this. But it's like 15, 16 years have passed because of the age of the daughter, which does sort of lend itself to being this kind of fantastical fable rather, rather than something you're supposed to take as a as a kind of literal story i know but the message in that is she's gotten older because she tells her old friend you know you've aged too it's been the same amount of time yeah right yeah so why can't i go back right so but i think it's an interesting underlining of several messages in the film the world is cruel yeah that you're all alone that even the people you thought were your friends aren't really, they have their own agendas, right? Like it's really bleak, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually it doesn't feel that way because throughout their song, even though all the songs are songs 
of loss, yeah, of relationships breaking up or people leaving other people. It's a fantastic thing that I think the film weaves. Really. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it did keep me involved right to the end, right? And yet it is kind of a relentlessly grim film full of funny incidents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, it's based on a story that's been filmed multiple times. So it's um, by Juan Rulfo. There was a, a 1964 film, a 1981 TV series, uh, and then most recently a 146 episode telenovela, I guess, called La Caponera. So I guess focusing right. on the focusing on the, the life of the singer. But but it's a, it's obviously a very yeah in Mexico it would be a very well known story. The film reminded me a little bit of Miracle in Milan only in that sense of, you know, magic, fable, yeah. So in Miracle in Milan, this boy, you know, is, is found in a cabbage patch, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and he's raised by these women, and it's very kind of fabulistic. So that has such a gentle, warm, loving tone, right? Whereas this is grim 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 you're all alone in the world nobody loves you yeah, <laughs> it's <yeah>. all chance <laughs> you know completely different tone but I, th I would imagine it would also be very interesting to look at in relation to the novels of Garcia Marquez yeah yeah, yeah. I also loved the way that it was shot with a camera that seemed much more in flow than what we've seen almost all of it Initially, the whole first half takes place outside, you know, then the second half becomes kind of much more enclosed. It's kind of uses focus in interesting ways. You know, this is kind of a filmmaker who really knows what they're doing. And yet, you know, the film is maybe the most alien film to Western, well, Anglo-American sensibilities that we've seen so far. Would you say? Yeah. The cockfighting, I think, would be a real struggle for people here to watch. I think there are also elements of the poverty and the sexuality, you know, the acceptance of a totally corrupt and rigged world that might incite refusal in certain audiences. And yet I think it's even more of a reason to watch it. It's part of the reason why you're watching foreign films is to come into contact with ways of thinking that are not your own. Mm. This is a film that really challenges you with those instantly. The cult fighting is, is something that yeah, is it's right there from the start and, and it, it would be an issue. And, and I think actually would be a, certainly in the UK, would be an issue in terms of uh, BBFC classification because I, I know films like, well, there's the film Cult Fighter that, that, that I think has been heavily cut over here. And I, and I I think those those scenes would have to be cut. Mm, I think, definitely. Uh, but, but essentially, you then lose the first forty-five minutes of the, the, the first forty-five minutes film. Is not we, we're perhaps giving the wrong impression. It's not a forty-five-minute orgy of cockfighting, bloodshed. But there is a fair, there there are some lengthy scenes of it, and the film wouldn't make sense without those scenes. Yeah, there are about three cockfights. I think. That yeah. See. Well. It's our last Arturo Ripstein film, only because it's the last one that we can see uh, on movie. It's been a fascinating experience kind of going through all of them, and I hope we do this again in the future, actually. It's really interesting to stay 
with one filmmaker and to see the films in chronological order. And I think this was a, a really interesting film to end with. It's not my favorite. Un Lugar Sin Limites, I loved. I Actually, I think I loved all of them, but I think this is the one that I perhaps have least of an affinity with. I mean, I enjoyed it very much. I think it's really great, but I had to commit to it in a way that I didn't feel I had yeah, to the others. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. We are thinking aloud about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Right, bye-bye. Bye.